Hey, how you doing? Today on the podcast, how to use your death to your advantage. What? Yeah. And an interview with Brant Men's War on how to identify your non-negotiable values that will drive your joy and success. Ready? Let's go. You know how you sometimes feel stuck? Like you're drifting through life, going through the motions? Then you're in the right place. Find your purpose. Live your passion. Let's go. Confucius said, we have two lives. And the second begins when we realize we only have one. Oh, that's so good. We have two lives. And the second begins when we realize we only have one. That is so existential. So scary? Huh? Well, maybe it is scary because if you're like my wife and you don't like to think about death and it freaks you out, then it is scary. The idea of you not being here anymore and leaving all your loved ones behind to take care of themselves, I get it. But you also have to be realistic. No one gets out of this life alive. It doesn't matter if you want to think about it or not. Death is coming for you because it's coming for all of us. The death rate for humans, last time I checked, 100%. So this idea to me is scary. Yeah, but it's scary good. We have two lives and the second begins when we realize we only have one. This is when you can start living. See, once you become self-aware enough to understand that this is it, this is your life right now, not a rehearsal, this is it, your life now, then you can really start living. Then you start to look at things as either living your life or wasting your time. Then you understand what the characters Andy and Red were talking about in the Shawshank Redemption when they said it's time to either get busy living or get busy dying. Then you realize there is no better time than right now to do what you were created to do. You realize someday never comes. Someday never shows up on your calendar. Someday is just code for never. And now you have extra motivation to start. To start what, Greg? I don't even... Well, to start figuring out what it is to start then. To use all your talents, all your gifts, all your desires, and your purpose that you were created with to live your one and only life. I find that uplifting. I find that energizing, motivating, encouraging. I get excited by it. It reminds you how important it is to use every second you have in this life because you never get even one second back. I love what Josh Hines said. Understand it's okay to be scared or uncertain. However, right behind those barriers, ultimately, lies your dreams. So why not acknowledge it? Death is coming for you. And why not use your death, your death, for your advantage to push you to start living your life right now? If this resonates with you, I want you to have a free gift from me. It's my ebook, Five Steps to Finding Your Passion and Purpose. Get it at my website, gregorybnapp.com. The information's in the show notes. We've got Brant Menswar. Now, he's a best-selling author. He's named one of the country's top speakers, and he's really helped a ton of people over 10,000 now discover their non-negotiable values. And his book is called Black Sheep. And in that, you're going to learn how to identify your non-negotiables that are really at your core, help you live with deliberate intention, and then practically manifest what matters to you most. So I'm bringing in Brant Menzoir. Brant, how are you doing today? Great, brother. Good to see you again. Man, love seeing you. Really enjoyed. We we both got to speak at an event in North Dakota recently. And uh Got to meet Brant and just super guy, got to meet his wife. And I just thought, man, this is who my audience needs to hear from next. So appreciate it. You know, I, I find it's really interesting when you meet people on the road or anywhere, really. And they they ask you things like, what do you do? And it tends to lead to kind of a boring conversation, really, most of the time. Most of the time, people don't really care what you do until they care about you, you know, or, yeah. or, or agree with what you believe in. And I thought it really kind of goes to, to what you talk about with your non-negotiable value. So here's my first one to you. It's like, if a stranger just asked you, what do you believe? What would you say to that? I would say belief's a tricky thing. <laughs> um, so, so in my background of what, what I've learned, uh, is that, uh, belief is a choice. And, uh, sometimes we don't think it is, but it is. And it's, uh, uh what we believe is simply what we can convince ourselves of. And so I would tell you that, uh, what I believe is what I can convince myself of, which is that, um, 
I believe we were all meant for more on this planet than we have most of us right now. Um, but it takes a, a good deal of work and commitment to have that come to fruition. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Um, so let's start with the story of how you found your purpose and what you're doing right now, mm -hmm. because you've had different things in your life. I mean, sure. you've literally been a rock star in a rock and roll band. Mm -hmm. So tell a story of how you got into that and then how you got into what you're doing now and wrote your book and you're speaking. How yeah. did you find all these purposes and move throughout your life? So for me, um, I, I toured with my band, uh, Big Kettle Drum, for almost 20 years. Uh, we had signed a couple of record deals. Um, really just fortunate to be able to tour uh, from sort of here to Australia and back several times and released, God, I don't even know how many albums we had, uh, maybe maybe 10, 11 albums, something like that over the course of our, our career. And um, in 2012, my my oldest son Theo, um, at that point, had uh, become sick. He had cancer, and uh, I knew I needed to pull myself off the road um, so that I could be closer to home uh, to care for him. And you know, he uh, he battled for for nine years, and over over that time, um, he we, we were faced with some pretty difficult scenarios, as you can imagine, um, being in a pediatric oncology ward uh, in a bone marrow transplant unit. And there was a moment during that time when they thought that he was going to pass away uh, that uh, overnight. They didn't think he was going to make it through the night. And so the doctors basically said, you, you need to go back to the room and say your goodbyes. And so, you know, when, when you're put into that sort of a scenario, um, some things become really clear. Uh, and what became really clear to me is I had no idea what to say in that moment. And so, um, even though through a, a course of miracles that happened over the next 24 hours, Theo survived that night, um, I was left with this haunting conversation that I had with him of me fumbling through, you know, how do you, how would you say your goodbyes to your child? Um, and so, uh, it, it made me get really clear after that moment and, for, you know, fortunately, uh, he had survived another few years, uh, until COVID came along and ended up taking his life, um, because he had been beat up so, so much from the cancer and the drugs and the, you know, he, he had to have a kidney replaced and, you know, his bones were brittle. And there was, there were so many things that, that sort of his body had gone through that he just wasn't prepared to fight COVID. His lungs were in bad shape. And so that, that was it. But I was able that second time where the doctor said, you should go and say your goodbyes to have a conversation that I didn't want to have, but um, I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And I was able to go to bed and and feel good about that conversation, even though it didn't have the outcome that I would have preferred. Um, of course, uh, it didn't haunt me for years like the first time did. Yeah. So you had this big, really life-changing event that that motivated you to live a different type of life. That's a that's really a interesting change because I, I don't know how many people do it that way and how many people just come to it because they start to get frustrated with their life. It's, and that's interesting to me because there's so many different ways to figure out your path, Yeah, you know? And, and I think sometimes we get a guru that tries to tell us this is the one way you can do it. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't believe that I believe everybody has their own path and their own walk. Right. And, yeah. and you, you have to get to that moment in your life where you're like, I, I'm not living like this anymore. I, there's more for me. Yeah. Like, like for you, it was like, I've, I've got to be ready for that. I, I, I don't ever want to feel that way again, you know? So I, that's really profound to me. Um, so, so then you say, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to figure out all my stuff. Then how do you get to the next level where you're like, I want to help other people do it. Yeah. So, you know, what I had discovered was I needed to figure out what my non-negotiables were, right. My, my, my deeply held personal core values and, it took some, you know, there, there's several ways that you can get there, of course, to do these sorts of things. Um, you can sort of take the, um, the Maslow approach and, and go through, you know, your, 
deeply personal things that have happened to you over the course of your life, um, something that he calls peak experiences and, and sort of dissect those peak experiences and the impact that they've had on you. Um, you know, our, our values, um, are, are a curious thing and, um, they are something that are formed pretty much over the first about 20, 21 years, um, or early twenties anyways, of our lives. And once they're formed, they rarely, rarely change outside of a catastrophic event in our lives. Um, values don't change. And so the, tr the, the trouble and the struggle is that, I mean, we've been doing this now for uh, three, almost four years, um, deep, deep study, deep data analysis. I mean, we've had tens of thousands of people now take our uh, black sheep values assessment. And the idea that, uh, of what the data has sort of shown us is that, you know, less than 1% of the people can tell us what their five non-negotiable values are. Um, some have four, some have six, but to be honest, you can't really honor more than six values a day. And these are things that have to be honored every day. They're not things that, you know, you get once a week or whatever. These are, these are things that you are doing with deliberate intention to make sure that you're honoring these values. Cause it's the only thing you have control over in your life. Um, you don't have control over outcomes uh, that I think that's more obvious to some than others. Um, to me, it is blatantly clear that we don't have control over outcomes or my son would still be here. And so, you know, what can I do? I can honor the things that matter most to me every day so that I can go to bed knowing I did everything that I could possibly do and let the outcomes be what they may. And so, you know, what we discovered with values is that um, they're formed with both good and, and bad experiences. Sometimes we have an overwhelmingly powerful experience that's amazing in our lives that, that help form the things that we hold dear. Other times we go through something so horrific that we say we never want to have to do that again. And so it forces us into that. Unfortunately, most people have to hit rock bottom before they decide to figure this stuff out. And um, it's a shame that that's the case. Uh, but you know, in, in our methodology of helping people discover their values. Um, we believe, you know, there, there was a, a book by Simon Sinek called start with why huge, huge bestseller. Simon's a brilliant man. I personally wish that there was an asterisk on that book cover <laughs> that said, start with why, if your why is correct. Um, because in our experience, most people's why is incorrect. Um, and, and I would argue, I mean, you're in the purpose world, you know, um, why is purpose? Most people's purpose in our experience, that they're just wrong. And it's because they don't have alignment between their what and their why. The what is the values. The why is the purpose. If your purpose statement does not include your non-negotiable values, there is no alignment between those two things. And so when we work with people to try to get them to their purpose statement for their life, um, it is laden with their non-negotiable values. So mine, creativity, hope, impact, empathy, family, authenticity. I have six. Uh, it's not unusual to have one extra or one less. Um, but my six values in my purpose statement sound like, you know, my, my purpose every day of why I get up to do what I do is to creatively impact others by uh, uh, authentically providing hope. And so there's symmetry between those values and my purpose statement because they're in my purpose statement. And when your what and your why are aligned, it gives you incredible power and flexibility in the how you choose to honor that. So that when people think their value changes, your values don't change. Your purpose doesn't change in our, in our way that, that we are looking at things and what the data has shown, the purpose doesn't change. What changes is how you honor that purpose changes all the time. It's why you see people who retire um, frantically trying 50 different things and they're busier after they retire than before they stopped working because they're trying to figure out how they're going to honor their purpose because they've honored it in one way for 30, 40 years. And so all of a sudden now they have free time. They're trying to figure out what's going on with their life. So it's why it's so important to have alignment between your values and your purpose 
because without those two things, it's a bit of a hornet's nest trying to figure out your how. Yeah, that's really good. And I think a lot of that depends on how you define these different words, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, just like like Simon Sinek might define his why a little bit differently than you're defining it, but I think he would agree with you that you have to have your values line up with it. So it's yeah. probably more more how you say it because like there are times when I tell people when I'm talking about your purpose, it's the thing that makes you come alive and that makes you feel like you count and you matter in this world where you're going to make a difference. So that purpose to me, then, then the things that feed that purpose can change, right? Mm -hmm. I can do this kind of work one day. I can do this kind of work the other day, but like you're saying, all that other stuff needs to stay the same, right? Even when I'm yeah. retired, I can, I can go volunteer over here, which is totally different than the work I used to do that was in my purpose, but it's still feeding that same purpose. Cause that, that purpose is still, like you said, what I value yeah. um, and, and really how I'm making a difference in the world and how I'm helping people. Right. So totally. you can do that totally different ways, but that other stuff has to stay the same. I really I like too how you said, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I would say I love that you use the word feed, right? So that that's the um that's the perfect word. Uh, so so we call we call them black sheep values because somebody finally took the time to explain to me why farmers value black sheep differently than the rest of their flock. Um, and this was something that for a lot of my life, I felt like a black sheep, like an outcast, like, uh, you know, um, and, and what's interesting is that people feel like black sheep for very different reasons, right? I think the traditional lens is that you're troublesome or you're weird or, you know, it's the goth kids in high school. It's the, you know, it's all of those sort of things. They sort of get put out there. But the truth is that farmers value black sheep differently because a black sheep's wool cannot be dyed. So every black sheep is 100% authentically original and it can't be made into something that it wasn't meant to be. Whereas all the other sheep, their wool can be dyed any color, anything that they wanted to. And so it can be made into anything that, that people want. And so when I understood that and started to realize that we should be running towards identifying what, what we call your black sheep values, right? What are those values that can't be changed, that can't be twisted or influenced or moved in a direction that you don't want them to be moved? Um, that's the struggle is trying to find what those are. And then your goal every day is to feed your sheep, right? You've got to feed those values. And when you do that, you're honoring your purpose. You're living your purpose when you feed your values. Yeah. I think that's why people feel so uncomfortable when they're not, because like you said, a lot of people don't spend the time to figure out what they are, Yep. but they, they know inside when they're not living it. That's so right. even though they can't identify it and articulate it, if they're working someplace that is counter to their values or they're acting in their private life that is counter to their values, they feel uncomfortable and wrong inside. And so that's when you end up, oh man, something's wrong with me. I need to do this substance. I need to do this thing to change my state. I need to find a way to escape this feeling. And if you're not going, like you said, until you hit rock yeah. bottom, yeah. A, lot, a lot of people never hit rock bottom. They'll go the whole life at this mm -hmm. level Yep. of feeling eh, it's okay it's just yep. life you know that's just how we're supposed to be yeah. um and and they could be up here but they yes. never get low enough to really do the work that it takes to figure out why do i feel so weird because you're not living the life that you were created to live because you're not lined up with your values you're not lined up with the purpose you're yeah. just kind of going through the motions and so that's what that's what i hope that people will get when they listen to us talk about this is, yeah, that's how I feel. Everybody feels that way unless you've done the work to work through it and really feel like you're you're in line with your purpose. And you mentioned something about control that I thought was great, Brant, because you said, you know, there's, there's only certain things we can control. We, we control almost nothing. We think we do. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs <laughs> are going to say, I control everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you're one phone call away from your whole life falling apart, either from the right. doctor, yep. from your accountant, Yep. from your financial planner, mm -hmm. from your wife or husband, yep. from, you know, you, you can't, what you can control are your lead measures, right? You yes. can control, this is what I value. And I know this, and every day I'm going to work towards that, that you can control. And that can really change how you feel regardless of the outcome. And I, I, that's what I keep trying to work with people on is this, to me, it's about the process, mm -hmm. right? If, if I'm taking a step towards my values and my goals every day, then I'm a success. Yes. And if it doesn't work, I'll just keep going a different different way to do the stuff that I know matters most to me. So the outcome is not the goal. The goal is the process. 
hundred percent agree. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it is something that as a control freak, um, you know, it takes a minute to learn uh, and agree to and understand that you got to let go of the idea that you're controlling outcomes, right? You can control what matters most to you and decide those things for yourself and discover you can control the effort that you put in to doing these things. But, but once the decision is made, once you've made a decision, everything is out of your hands, right? From that point forward, because you can't control the outcome of whatever that decision is going to be. So what you have to do, in my opinion, is to do the best you can to honor the things that matter most to make the best possible decision you can in your life, no matter what you're facing. And once the decision is made, letting it go and knowing that you've done everything possible, right? When you feel badly about a decision, it's because you haven't done those things. You haven't honored those values. You've made questionable you know, decisions up to that point. And so um, it makes it really hard to feel proud of yourself. It makes it really hard to avoid imposter syndrome. All those sorts of things come from not honoring the things that you know are non-negotiable in your life. And when those things start to flex, it just feels gross. If this resonates with you, I want you to have a free gift from me. It's my ebook, Five Steps to Finding Your Passion and Purpose. Get it at my website, gregorybnap.com. The information's in the show notes. Yeah, it's really good. So I want to jump back just for a second to when you were doing your musician life and mm-hmm. your touring and everything else. What what did you what what brought you joy in that? And then what did you learn from that career? It's impact for me, right? So, so impact being one of my, one of my black sheep is, is interesting because over the course of my life, I have channeled impact through very different things. Um, It was sports at first, right? Grew up as a highly competitive athlete, um, went to college to play baseball. You know, it was, it was, uh, my impact was through my athletic ability, right? And then uh, I got hurt. And so it's like, well, now what? And so, you know, it moved to work and how can I impact people through being a better leader? And then it was music and how can I impact people through writing great songs that they would connect with? Um, so, uh, you know, and then I, I pastored a church for, for several years. And so um, it was a, a different type of impact there as well. And then now it's standing on conference stages and trying to have that same impact at a conference or working with clients and their teams to um, teach them how to connect personal and organizational values and its impact through that. So so with music in particular, it's interesting because um, music is one of the few things that, that connect us all, no matter what language you speak, no matter what religion you believe, no matter your sexual orientation, it, it doesn't matter. Music is, is, it transcends everything. And if you can write a great song with a great melody, um, it will connect to people no matter what they believe. And that to me is, is a really powerful, unique idea. Um, and it's what we would strive for every time we would write a song and and perform that song, what we're looking for is to connect with the audience. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to connect when you're playing a small room and there's, you know, 50 people in there that it's a listening room and and you're acoustic and you're just, you know, you're, you're playing to try to impact their lives. It's different when you're playing at a festival with 10,000 people out there and, and you're trying to reach the people in the back. Um, it's, uh, it look, it looks and feels very different. I, I try to equate it to, um, to acting. I I've seen some, uh, sort of, uh, acting coaches talk about the difference of acting on stage, like on Broadway or, um, in, in, you know, on television or in a movie, um, they're, they're polar opposites, uh, on stage when you want to, make something really big, you amplify the emotion, right? It's, it's big demonstrative movements and your voice is really loud and and, in on TV or, or movies, it's just the opposite. You get really small, you get really quiet and, and, and it has that effect Um, in the same, in the same way, when you're performing through music, sometimes at a festival, you've got to be at 11 the whole time because you're never going to reach those people in the back. If you don't, um, and sometimes if you were playing a small intimate show and you came out at 11, everyone's going to have a really weird, awkward experience because it's not, it's not right for the room. So you got to read the room. Yeah. 
I love that what you said about connection and and so true about music transcends. And I think there are universal things that we don't pay enough attention to because we get in our little tribes and we let silly things divide us. But there are universals and certainly music is one. And I think another one is what we're talking about here today is this the idea that everyone was created for a purpose is a universal. I mean, I've never met anyone that if I've talked to for more than five minutes would tell me that they don't believe that there is a purpose somewhere in their life, right? It's a universal question. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Um, Why was I created? And when I was in uh, getting my master's in counseling psychology, the best thing I ever heard was from a family therapist, Virginia Satir. And she said, Just imagine when you're talking to your clients that they have a sign around their neck and the sign says, I just want to count because everybody wants to count. So, you know, if you want to tap into something that connects everybody, help them figure out how they count and make them feel like they count. And now you've got somebody that will basically be your friend for life. If you can help them figure that out. I agree. I think it's, you know, with a lot of people in in my sort of life that I, that I connect with, um, I find that one of their values is significance. They, they have, they, they have to, and want to feel significant in some way. Um, right. and, and I think that that's, it's dangerous. Significance is a very dangerous thing because, um, you can get there a, a variety of ways, <laughs> yeah. Depend, depending on the type of significance you're looking for, right? And so, um, you know, what what I what I like to try to talk to people about is you, when you move from self awareness to self acceptance, um, your your desire for significance changes a bit. Um, self awareness, you are looking for that significance, right? You're you're constantly looking, and you're constantly trying to change something about you. Um, or the scenario so that, cause you're aware, you're aware of it. Um, but it's exhausting. It's exhausting to do that all the time. And so when you move from self-awareness to self-accept, self-acceptance and you just accept who you are and what you care about and what your non-negotiables are, then that desire for significance, it, it looks different and it feels different because instead of trying to manage uh, uh, you know, like herding cats and trying to figure out the scenario and what's happening. And I'm aware of this. I'm aware of that. And I'm trying to do all these moving parts and make them make sense. You're down to four or five things. And it's really simple to be like, if I honor these five things, I'm good. If I dishonor one of these things, I know what I did. And so that, that desire for significance gets focused and much narrower that um, it allows you to achieve that, I think, easier, number one, but you appear less desperate, number two, um, which which uh, is an important thing, especially, it doesn't matter if it's business or personal. In the business life, and you appear desperate, you're going to make really questionable decisions to try to climb that ladder. And in your personal lives, if you, if you appear desperate, you're going to connect with the wrong people. You're going to be in the wrong relationships and um, you're never going to find that sense of fulfillment from your purpose because you are, you're, you're chasing significance instead of chasing, honoring the things that matter most to you. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. It's, there's so many things that have really good points or shadows. Mm -hmm. Like you said, money, right? Mm -hmm. Money can be fantastic Mm -hmm. and money can be horrible depending on what drove you to get it, what you gave up to get it, how you're using it, right? And it's the same thing with the idea of significance and wanting to count. If it's, it's the idea of something becoming your idol too, right? Like, like significance is my idol. Being, being rich is my idol. Being famous is my idol, whatever, because now all those things could be good, The problem is when you take a good thing and you make it a God thing, right? And the whole idea of wanting to count is a positive if you know who you are and what your values are and how you want to count. Because if you do that, unless you're a psychopath, you're going to be doing something good to become significant, right? I I love what you just said. And I think people need to hear it. When you take a good thing and try to make it a God thing is something... 
I, listen, it depends on, I, I can only speak from my background and uh, in the Christian world, um, that is something that happens a lot, right? And, yeah. and they want to attribute things to God that, that may or may not be. <laughs> um, and when you are doing that, if you're doing that to honor God, okay. If you're doing that to manipulate the situation, <laughs> um, that's and not to, okay. And to make it your own little G God thing, totally. right? It, it becomes your idol. And, totally. And then, yeah, then, then you're just on a bad, bad path. No doubt about it. Hey, I want to get back to your non-negotiable values. Because yeah. you mentioned um, that you have this uh, survey app. I, I don't know what you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I took it when, when you were speaking. I thought it was awesome. Tell people how, if they want to figure out what their non-negotiable values are, where would they go to do that? Sure. Um, so you can just go to my website. It's Brant Menswar, B-R-A-N-T-M-E-N-S-W-A-R.com. Um, and uh, it's it's listed right there. It's an, it's our assessment. It, it is designed to be a, a shallow dive into a very deep pool, right? So this is not the BL end all. You don't take this assessment and go, I've discovered my non-negotiables. That's It's to start the conversation. Now, what we know from you know, literally tens of thousands of people now who have taken this is that um, a couple of things you should understand straight up front. Number one is that our values exist in a hierarchy, right? So when we, when you discover and you take the assessment, you discover here are the five things that matter most to me. Those five things exist in a hierarchy from most important to least important, even though they're all non-negotiables, right? And so when you take the assessment and you discover what they are, your very first thing you should do when you're done is to put those in, in hierarchy order of most important to least important. We do that for a couple of reasons. The first reason is, and the most important reason is that when you put them in order, the ones that number one or number two are, are really accurate, right? Like 90 plus percent accurate. When you get to the numbers three, four, and five of those values, um, they are questionable at best and fabricated bull at worst. So it's just, you have to sort of understand what that is. It takes longer. It takes a much deeper dive to confirm those values in slots three, four, and five, um, because some of us have been conditioned to care for other people's sheep their whole life. And and it's just part of who we are. Um, We've all gone through it. If you've cared for a sibling or a parent or a grandparent, or you've been put in a scenario where you've had to ignore what matters to you to care for somebody else, um, that... um, it, it, it leads to confusion as to which are yours and which are not. And so we do that. We want you to put them in order because when you first start with this, um, focusing on the top two will we'll show you how it works, number one, and, and will also um, be very fruitful because they are more than likely very accurate. Cool. Yeah. And I'll put all that information on where to get this in the show notes in case you didn't grab it right then put a link in there for you and you can check it out. So once you get those and you're starting to feel like, yeah, these two definitely resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you use that in your daily life? If you're like, I'm brand new to this. I, yeah. I, I don't know what to do now that I know these are my values. So I'm going to give you the f- the track that if you know if we were in a perfect world of how I would do it, if you were working with me one-on-one, how I would do it with you. And then I'm going to tell you how you can do it because most people don't ever take the time or effort to do it the right way. <laughs> so let's talk <laughs> about the true. right, let's talk about the right way first. The right way is to take the assessment, figure out what those five are, take a good look at them, bat them around a bit, feel like if they, if you think they're good, then fine, then you need to track them. So there's a workbook that's free that, that comes after you take the assessment. It says, if you want to get the free workbook to track your values, to prove what you think is real is real, just click here and you can have immediate access. You download it as free. Um, Ideally you will track those values every day for two weeks. So for for the first week, you start to notate at the end of each night, you sort of sit down with a pad of paper and you say, here are my values. Um, And you you count how many times these values appeared organically over the course of the day. And then you briefly notate what the scenario was, right? Coworker, wife, kids, whatever it was, what was the scenario? Um, and, And after the first week, you take a good look and you go, okay, here are my five values. Uh, Value number one appeared 
150 times, right? Value number two appeared 100 times. Value three appeared 70 times. Value four appeared 20 times. And value five appeared twice. So what, what you do when you're looking at that is it sort of confirms that you're on the right path, right? So you can sit there and go, okay, look, these two values, I feel really good about some of these other ones here. I need to do some deeper dives. I need to figure out if there's, is this the right word or the right value? Um, because remember our, our values exist in hierarchies. They also exist in what we like to call families, right? So there are five families of values and all of the values in that family have a hierarchical order as well. So to be, uh, to give you an example, if you said family is, is one of my values, or you said faith, or you said community, or you said relationship, those are all in the connection bucket. So connection is the highest value in that family, right? So, so when you say something like my family, what you're saying is the connection to your family. That's what it is. It's about connection. It's not about your family um, specifically. Uh, and so when you start to do that, sometimes we have to level up to a, to a higher, more encompassing value within the family. So if you are, if you've picked something very narrow and you didn't have an opportunity to do that, um, then does it mean that it's, that the value is incorrect? Probably not. It just means you have to find a value that encompasses that and other things too. So when you say connection, it, it it's family, it's religion, it's uh, community, it's uh, nature, it's your pets, it's your people. It's, you know, it can, it encompasses so many more things. So sometimes you have to level up to a larger value to make sure you're being as accurate as you can. Um, and then once you've sort of gone through that first week, you can make some adjustments. You know what? It's, it's not this, it's that. Okay, great. So then you go through another week and you go, let's look and see how many times they appeared again. Um, so at the end of that second week, you have a pretty good idea of, I would say four out of your five values. Sometimes that fifth one can take months before it really manifests as, as what it truly is. Um, but you feel really good that you've got a lot of clarity around three or four things that are just absolutely non-negotiables for you. And that's enough to have massive transformation in your life. Once you confirm, you have to program these values to appear into your daily life. So we have people take out their calendars and they look at what their schedule is and they start writing which values they want to appear during those appointments. So if you go, I've got a, I've got a call with Greg, I've got to do this podcast with him. Okay. What do I want to really show up during this podcast? For me, it's two things. It's impact and hope. That's it. Everything we are going to talk about today is funneled through my values of impact and hope. I want to have a really positive, powerful impact during this time with you. And I want to make sure that people leave this podcast after listening to it with more hope than they had before they started. That, that Those are my goals. That doesn't happen by accident or with luck. It happens with deliberate intention. And so I have to program those things to appear. So that's what we do. And we look and we help them discover, well, what if I don't have any appointments? Well, then you've got to carve out time in your day to feed these values. If you're saying health is something really important and you skip your workout in the morning and you have two Big Macs for lunch, I'm calling bullshit, right? It's like, you've got to be really deliberate with your actions. And that requires you to be deliberate with your planning. And so you have to get into your calendar and you start writing these. And after you do that for a few weeks, it becomes second nature. And it becomes something that starts to move to your subconscious. And that's our goal. If we can get all of these things to become subconscious things in your life, um, 95% of our actions every day are subconscious actions. You're not thinking, you're just doing. So if we can make it so regular that this is how your brain has been rewired to work, then it becomes subconscious that you're honoring these things. And if you find yourself in a scenario where you feel bad or you're you know, six months down the road, nine months down the road, you're just feeling off, you go back to this exercise, you start programming your values again, you start tracking your values again, and you go, you know what? I've ignored this. I've ignored that. I haven't been deliberate here. I haven't been deliberate there. And it brings the clarity you need to right the ship and get back on path. Yeah. I really like that idea of putting it in your calendar of writing down and looking at it before you start the meeting. Yes. Because it's so easy to forget. We get, we just get in our daily routines and we're moving on to the next thing. And 
it's why you know my wife did this for me where she has a label on her phone alarm that says time to educate tiny humans because that's what she loves to do she's a first grade teacher and so my my little label says you know live and love in the moment because i'm i like you like you i'm a jesus follower and and he tells us to love others the way we love ourselves so i'm like i've got to focus on loving other people more instead of focusing on myself so much and I'm really trying to live more in the moment where I'm enjoying what's happening right now, not forecasting myself out into the future, not looking back all the time. But what am I doing right now? Can I be 100 percent focused on this person right in front of me? Can I make them feel like they count? Can I can I can I just kind of you know make them make them feel a little bit better right now? And that. I have to tell myself that every day and again before I sit down with somebody every time or it's all back to me because I love me, totally. Uh, you know, and uh, if I don't fight it, I will just be about me all day long. It's tough. It's a tough habit to break and it and it requires you being very aware of the scenario, right? Because if you're not, it just, it's so easy to go back to just making it all about ourselves. Absolutely. So let me ask you about really trying to be motivated even when you're not because that's a big thing right okay i've got my non-negotiables i think i know what i'm supposed to do i'm on this path and now it's either getting hard or uh, i didn't know i was gonna have to do this or you know uh, i've got a great show on netflix i want to binge or what how do you re-motivate yourself when you feel it start to wane a little bit because we all get excited yeah. We're ready to go. Yes. And then things happen sometimes. There's two things for me. So, so the values part is one, right? When you, when you really hone things down to four or five things, um, it makes it a lot easier to honor those things because you're not distracted by 50 things that are important. You're, you're only looking at non-negotiables, right? Um, so that's one part. The second part is I use something called the seat method, um, which uh, I learned from a brilliant woman who works with autistic children. And this is how they determine motivation um, in, in kids who are autistic. And it just, it, it, it works so well um, that it's a litmus test for, for me to figure out how I choose to be motivated. Right. So the seat method is uh, it's just an acronym, right? So the S is about sensory. So are, are you doing something for a, a particular sensory experience, right? That's your motivating factor. So the basic one would be like, you're starving. So you eat, right. You're, you're trying to, you're trying to fulfill that sense, um, that, that, um, that is needing to be addressed. So that's, that's one of the four E in the seat method, um, is escape. So I'm making a decision because I want to escape this, whatever it is. I don't want to eat my peas at the table. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to leave, right? That's, that's escape. Um, a is all about attention. You, you're doing it for, uh, you need the attention of someone else, um, to really motivate yourself, right? That connection to, to find yourself motivated. That is God, I really want to go work out, but I'm, I will skip it every day. Well, if I find a workout buddy that's expecting me to be there at a particular time, well, now it's not just about me. Now it's the attention of the other person. And now if I violate that, it's so I'm motivated to go, not because of me, but because of that attention that I'm going to get from my workout partner. Um, and then T is tangible, right? You're, you're motivated by tangible something at the end, right? Um, I want to, I'm a, I want to get that salesperson of the month award. So I'm going to be really motivated to do as much as I can, because I want to hold that award in my hand and hang it on my wall when it's all done. When you know, now, now the, I'll say this, we are all motivated by all four of those things in different times, in different scenarios of our lives, but there is a preferred motivator that if you could choose how you want to be motivated um, for each and all of us, right? So at times, yes, I want to, I, I wait too long to eat and then I make a bad decision because I will scarf down something that I probably shouldn't have. It's not a healthy choice, but it was quick and it was easy. And so I just did it. Um if I could choose for me, it's, it, it is in the attention bucket, right? So I, I need somebody else involved for me to stay motivated. Otherwise, because if it's myself, I'm a little too ADD and creative mindset where I'm going to go in 10 different directions at the same time. Um, and it's hard for me to see something all the way through fruition because I'm constantly thinking up of new things or new ways to do something. Um, so the attention part helps me focus and ties me to um, staying committed to something longer than I probably would if it was just me. 
And so because I know that when I'm really looking to make progress, I need to find somebody that's an accountability partner for me to make sure that I do it. Right. So that's for me personally, for some, if you're an introvert and you're like, you know, that escape is your thing, then you need to find ways to motivate yourself to do something. Well, uh, if I could just get away from having to go to this meeting, I could focus over here and do what I need to do. Then find that way to get away. That's, that's your goal, right? That's, what's going to keep you motivated is not having to do the thing that, that you don't want to do. So that's sort of how I, I use that seat method. I can't tell you how often. Um, and I teach everybody that, that I coach um, that method as well, because it's really healthy for you to understand. First of all, the, these are the four basic motivators uh, in life period, no matter how old you are. Um, when you understand what those motivators are and you understand what your preferred motivator is um, in any scenario that you're struggling, you can choose to find that motivator that you like the best and work through that. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because all of those can be positive or negative. Yes. Right. You can use sensory in a positive or negative way, right? Drugs or yep. food or working yep. out or yep. sleep or, yep. you know, the same thing with escape. You can yep. escape for a good reason or you yep. can escape for a bad reason. Yes. So yeah. I think that's, those are great. And it's really good to think that through too. Am yep. I trying to escape right now because mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable and maybe that uncomfortableness is what I need to embrace in order to become the person I want to be in line with my values. And even though it's hard, you know, that I think that happens so much. I know it's happened to me. I'll just speak for myself that sometimes if something gets hard, I think, well, it shouldn't really be this hard if it's what I'm supposed to do, should it? Right. I mean, I can talk myself into it. You know, I mean, obviously I'm going the wrong direction. This this door wouldn't be so hard to open. You know, you you can talk yourself into or out of so many things. So I, I like that method of seat and really trying to figure out where am I on this continuum right now and, mm. and how can I use these in a positive way to move forward with what I know is what I'm supposed to be doing that's in line with my values, that's in line with my purpose. Let's go. Uh, what's your biggest challenge right now in your life and how do you work through big challenges? So I, I would say... Professionally, my biggest challenge is ex getting organizations to understand the importance of, of values-based leadership. Um, values are a soft skill uh, as far as business is concerned. I don't agree with that, but that's how they would categorize it. Um, they would much rather focus on things that they think have a direct KPI trackable outcome that is going to move the bottom line in the direction they want it to go. Um, there are studies, there are more studies now that show that values are things that absolutely move the bottom line and affect things like retention and happiness and satisfaction and all those sorts of things that you want your employees to have. Um, but it is, it is a, it's the wild, wild west um, of trying to get people to understand how do we discover values uh, you know, as an organization, is it your job to help your people discover their non-negotiables? I would say yes. Um, they, some of them don't believe that that's anything to do with that. That's not what we do. That's let them figure it out on their own. They don't understand the impact that that has in the employee's work and how they show up every day. Um, so that's, that's my biggest challenge is getting people to understand the importance and the power of doing it the right way. Um, and, and when they do, it's unquestionable. And the, and the impact that they have is, is not just the, the feeling um, that, that you get when you feel like you've accomplished something in your own purpose, um, but also that bottom line impact to God, we save money because we didn't lose as many people. God, we save money because people are performing 30% better than they've ever performed. You know, all these other sorts of things can be attributed now towards clarity of values and teaching them how to work through those things. Um, because the biggest mistake that companies make is they hand people a set of values and expect the employees to adopt them like they're their own. And it doesn't, it that doesn't work that way. That's not how we're wired. Um, we have to build bridges between what matters most to us to what matters most to our people. And that is, um, 
a tricky um, thing that only happens with deliberate intention. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's what I try to tell people when they're looking at what they want to do for a living is if you're not in line with the purpose and the values of the place you're working, it's going to start to wear on you. It won't yeah. be right away because you need a job, mm -hmm. you need some money. That's right. But eventually it's going to start wearing on you. You're going to get this cognitive dissonance inside you of why am I doing this? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, if, if the owners and the managers of the company understand that, it has a huge impact on the joy of the people working there, how they put out their effort every day, how many sick days they take, uh, you know, how long they're going to stay with you. Because pe people jump from job to job thinking it's because I, it's just not a good job. I'm not making as much money. Maybe but probably more because you have this feeling inside that you're doing something that you really don't think is worth anything or oh. doesn't, it doesn't hit your values. It doesn't make you feel like, like you're significant. It doesn't feel like you're making a difference. And if you feel like that, you're going to move on. And so you're right. All those things, uh, if, if businesses would look a little bit harder at it, but I, I, like you said, I mean, it's all bottom line. It's what's coming up in the next quarter and I get all that, but they don't understand all that goes into it. And uh, you, if you just have a little bit of time with them and get them to think about it from their own point of view, they'll eventually understand it. But you're right. It is a struggle for some for some companies. Some of them get it right away, which is awesome. Um, if Last thing I wanted to ask you today is if you could go back and talk to your 20-year-old self mm -hmm. and you could tell them a lesson that you've learned and any advice you had for them, what would you say? So I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but, but what I would tell myself is you're creative and um, creatives can, can have a tendency to be all over the place. Um, and the best thing that you could do would be to sit down and discover the things that you, that you don't want to change, right? What are those things that matter most to you? that um, bring you joy um, when you're doing them and make you very angry uh, when they're being violated. Um, discover what those things are and try to channel your creativity through those things. The reason is because if your goal is to be authentic, um, more importantly, to be an original, the only way that happens is when you are contributing through those things, those values, those things that make you, you. And so when you contribute through those things, you stand out like a black sheep in a flock of white sheep that, that can get easily confusing and lost. So if you want the farmer's first look, you've got, you've got to lead with the things that make you different. And that's what I would tell myself as a young, stupid 20 something that I was. <laughs> Love it. Brant Menswar, we appreciate the time, all the information about Brant's website, uh, wherever you want to go see him on social. I'm going to put all that in the show notes so you don't have to remember it. Very easy to do. Brant, where is your favorite social media where people should connect with you? I do most of my posting on LinkedIn. Um, but I also, uh, try to do TikTok, believe it or not. Um, I, uh, TikTok, I try to keep personal development, um, uh, with Instagram as well a little bit, but, but personal development on that side and TikTok is, or, uh, LinkedIn is all my business stuff that I post there. There you go. LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram. Brant, thanks so much for being with me. Thanks brother. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. All the best.